Welcome to We All Serve, the podcast featuring leadership lessons from and conversations with those veterans that have served in the United States Armed Forces. Meet your hosts, Robert Lewis, a proud enlisted veteran that served active duty in the United States Marine Corps, and Shalom Klein, who is privileged to be an officer in the United States Army Reserve. They both agree, we all serve. Hey, welcome, welcome to the seventh episode of We All Serve. Uh, Robert, I can't believe it's uh, we're already up to episode number seven. Our uh, our viewers and our listeners don't know this, but I've been gone for the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been rolling out episode after episode, some great conversations, amazing vets. Um, and uh, But this is our, our first episode back in business, and we've got some great uh, guests in store. Of course, our guest today, who we'll talk with and about in just a moment. Um, but Robert, how have you been? All is well, brother. All And welcome back home. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I know you've been gone on duty, and uh, I've been trying to hold the fort down uh, in your absence. But uh, you might have been physically not here, but spiritually you are. So, um, yeah, man. yeah, man, in spite of, you know, all of the COVID-19 news and all the different things going on in our world currently, this climate, um, I'm just glad to be back on another episode, episode seven of We All Serve uh, with another exciting guest. Uh, so excited to speak with him today. Um, I, I do want to say that since we've been gone for two weeks, uh, we, we've had some uh, some heavy losses uh in the world i should say uh ct vivian um and uh congressman uh john lewis who were uh civil rights icons um for our country and really for the world uh many don't, who if you don't know ct vivian was a phenomenal minister author a close friend to um reverend dr martin luther king jr um he also received the presidential medal of freedom from president obama in 2013 um, and then also Congressman John Lewis. Um, many people know him for his quote of uh, getting into good trouble. Uh, you know, he's a civil rights leader, served 33 years in Congress uh, in the state of Georgia. Um, he's also known um, for his marches uh, in Selma in Alabama, uh, actually well known, the Bloody Sunday incident uh, where they, the uh, protesters stood off against the state troopers uh, in Alabama, and uh, he was uh, critic, almost critically injured. Uh, his skull was cracked. Wow! Um, in that uh, in that march, but he survived. Went on to do great things in politics, and so on and so forth, and continuously lead. So I just wanted to make sure we um, recognize uh, those two icons uh, for this episode as well. Shalom. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. And it's yep. a, we were just talking yesterday. It's uh, because I've been gone for the past few weeks. Um, I, you know, it's so much so much has happened and we haven't talked about it uh, on the show. Uh, you and I have stayed in touch and we've we've had some of these conversations. But, you know, it's important to be a lifelong learner to uh, to continue to uh, to to look up to people, read listen. There's so many opportunities to do that and just learn. Um, yeah. We're all imperfect. We are all so imperfect. Um, but uh, as John Lewis said, uh, it's, you know, 
good trouble, uh, get into trouble, learn, try things. I think that's what, um, you know, we are all about. I mean, our, our guest in a moment, um, you know, certainly has, uh, has done and continues to do some incredible things. I know, uh, you posted on uh, Facebook the other day, um, that you had your, uh, Marine enlistment anniversary. Uh, so congratulations on that. And that's, uh, that's a huge milestone. And perhaps that was, uh, that was a little bit of trouble that you uh, that you got yourself into, and for the for the better. Yeah, absolutely, and thank you for that acknowledgement, man. And I know it probably hurt you to to say uh, that I went to Marine Corps boot camp. You know, <laughs> the the Never. best boot camp in the armed forces. No, but uh, absolutely, man. I, I was just chatting with uh, one of my um, Marine buddies and. You know, he kind of reminisced and said, you know, the day that he went to boot camp, the, the sentiment really was when you showed up was what the heck did I get myself into? Right. You're standing on the yellow footprints at MCRD San Diego and everybody's screaming at you. And you're just kind of like your world is completely changed at that point. Like I did that voluntarily. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. So I, you know. But uh, shout out to MCRD San Diego, Camp Pendleton, California, all my buddies in San Diego, uh, Florida, New York. Uh, I've got vet buddies all over the country. Uh, but yeah, man, that was a historic moment for myself. So uh, thanks for acknowledging that, man. Of course, of course, of course. So, yeah. uh, so guess what? What's that? Okay. Well, I, many of our listeners and viewers, and you know what, I'll digress for a second. Um, right now, uh, you might be listening to this as a podcast on Spotify, on Google, on Apple. Um, but uh, shameless plug, look for We All Serve on YouTube yep. um, and on Facebook uh, and Twitter. Uh, and you could actually uh, get a link so you can uh, watch this conversation as well. And that is so much more fun than just listening. Um, so make sure you're liking us, following us and subscribing so you don't miss a single episode. But many of our listeners or viewers, however you might listen, um, know that uh, I love to travel, haven't traveled in a long time now uh, for the past six months because of COVID. And then prior to that, you know, I was uh, off for a year uh, doing some of my army responsibilities. Um, but I've been on every continent. I've been to a lot of different places. Um, there is one place that I have not been uh, that our guest has been. And, you know, it, it might sound weird to say I'm jealous, um, but we'll get into that in just a moment. That place uh, is North Korea. That place is North Korea. So, yeah, I mean, my, when I had this conversation with our guest, wow, my ears perked up. And, uh, you know, so let's get into it. Uh, Robert, one more thing. Guess what? Get, what is it? You know, our guest served in the Army. <laughs> I should have known. That's all right. Known. You know, this guy is great. He's accomplished. Uh, I, I like the guy. I've had an opportunity to meet him, but man, that army piece, man. Yeah. There's something about that army thing. But yeah, you know we'll what? Give him we'll give him fast. Like. Great minds think alike, made some good decisions in his life. So without <laughs> further ado, I'm thrilled to introduce uh our uh our viewers, our listeners to our guest, Jim Miller. Jim uh has an enormously uh, accomplished record, um, including, as I just said, service in the United States Army. Um, 
both in the uh, second ID, second infantry division in South Korea, first infantry division in Fort Riley, Kansas, first armored division in Germany. And he was also detailed to the White House Communications Agency in Washington, D.C. Right now is the director of corporate security um, and uh, and is in the process of rolling out a brand new book, Gut Punch. I love can pick you up when life has dropped you to your knees. Uh, Jim, such a pleasure welcoming you to the program. Jim Miller, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Shalom. I, I really appreciate the invitation. Robert, uh, great to meet you earlier as well. Uh, I'm very excited to be on your uh, on your show. Oh, Indeed. It's- Great to have you, Jim. You have an incredible story um, of service. And really, uh, as we say on the show, we all serve. And that's uh, present tense. That's not that's not something that you put on a uniform. And then when you uh, when you hang up the uniform, you're done. I know you're continuing to serve and uh, actually very proud. You and I had this conversation. I know you uh, continue to employ uh, some folks in service. And I know that service is a big piece of who you are. So uh, so let's start at the very beginning, Jim. Um, sure. uh, you know, as, as uh, we say in Mary Poppins, the very best place to start. Um, <laughs> so Jim, tell us a little bit about your background pre-military and uh, your choice to serve. You know, I was, um, you know, I'm, I think I'm a little bit older than both of you guys. So <laughs> grew up in the uh, in the 70s, basically. Um, and, you know, like any kid my age, I think, you know, they're, when you look at popular culture at that time, the movies, you know, were World War II movies and things like that. Some of my favorite movies when I was a kid was Kelly's Heroes, Patton, you know, those types of things, The Great Escape. Um, you know, so the military was something that I always thought about, you know, potentially doing with my future. Um, and as I got a little bit older and got through, you know, through high school, I, uh, I joined uh, in my junior year and decided that I wanted to go uh, into the service. One of the biggest things, you know, I, I did want to serve, I wanted to serve my country, you know, the patriotism aspect. Um, but I also wanted to see the world. And I, I thought, you know, that was a really great way to see the world, uh, through the military. So, you know, I grew up, uh, in the Chicago area, a, a suburb just South of Chicago called Dalton near Calumet city, Dalton, um, just outside of, uh, the city. And we were born in the city, but, uh, grew up mostly in, in a town called Dalton. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a, suburban, you know, uh, childhood, nothing remarkable, kind of normal family life. And, uh, you know, just thought that I would be able to see the world through the military. And I did. <laughs> so um, went into basic training uh, at uh, Fort uh, Fort McClellan in Aniston, Alabama. <laughs> and uh, being from Chicago and being in Alabama in July and August for basic training was really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you when, when you uh, first learn that tents in the army originally don't have floors, right? So you're living with uh, everything that's on the ground in Alabama in the summertime. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> wow. No, I, I know Dalton very well, Jim. And oh, uh, great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely, man. What high school did you go to? Ridge High School. Oh, nice, nice. Yep. All right, man. A bunch of basketball greats came from. Oh, there. they had a great basketball team. Uh, uh, Mr. Duckworth, who was our PE yep. teacher, his. Uh, uh, his uh, brother was in the NBA. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, you're you're in the neck of the woods, man. Around me, man. I grew up right outside of that suburb in the city, though, uh, close uh, 95th and Woodlawn, so over in that okay. area. Yep. Yeah, man. Um. So no, this is great. 
you you know what? So uh, you're kind of like me, man. I, when I joined the Marine Corps, except you went to the Army, but that's okay. We'll talk, <laughs> we'll talk, we won't talk about that. We digress. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, you know, I, I also wanted to travel the world. I wanted to, you know, go all these places that you always see on the news that you you read about, and um, so that was one of the motivations for me. And of course, getting. Uh, as a 17 year old getting out of Chicago. But uh, so I, I'm curious, man, um, after you got into the service, you, you were there for uh, how many years did you serve? I served almost 10, just about 10 almost, years, almost yeah. 10 years, man. Um, so after that, man, what what was after your service there and you realize, mm -hmm. you know, wow, this is you are, you're obviously a service minded person with all the great things that you've done. Um, what led you to do your next endeavor after getting out of the army? What what was the motivation for you first to get out of the army and then to go on what path? So, um, you know, my, my final tour of duty was at the White House. And uh, um, that was a joint service agency that I didn't even know existed until I got recruited into it. I was, I was serving in Germany at the time and I actually went on leave back home to Chicago. Uh, my family had relocated back to this, back to the city. And, um, I come back from leave and my, uh, my platoon sergeant is, uh, Hey Miller, you know, the white house was looking for you when you're gone. I'm like, yeah, yeah, right. The white house was looking for <laughs> And sure enough, uh, they had done a, a recruitment thing, a recruitment campaign through, through Europe. And, uh, they selected me. And I, I think they just looked at records and looked at, you know, test scores and different things. And, and if you met a certain criteria and certain MOS and everything, then they wanted to talk to you and see if you were interested. So I, I met, met with them and it was a really interesting, uh, I've written, you know, I, I like to write as you alluded to, you know, mentioned my book. Uh, so I've, I've written a bunch of little vignettes about military service. And, and one of them is about the interviewing process for the white house it was really interesting. The, the types of questions they ask you, they want to see if there's things in your background that somebody could use to exploit, because, you know, when you go there, you have a very high level security clearance, obviously. And, uh, they're trying to see if, you know, there's something, in there that you're not talking about that somebody may want to exploit to get information from you. Um, and it, you know, and generally they just try to see if you can handle stressful situations and things like that and triage things well. Uh, but it was really interesting. So I, I uh, found out that I was going to the white house. So one of the, re you know, getting back to your original question about why did I uh, leave the service? So I had, I'd done uh, several years there, went through the Gulf war uh, at the white house and, um, the military was downsizing quite a bit. You know, I don't know if you guys uh, recall, but after that, there was this thing called um, after the um, Soviet Union fell in 1991. Um, there was this whole peace dividend discussion in Congress, and they're saying, "Hey, you know, well, you know, we won the Cold War. What are we going to do now? We don't really need this giant military." So they started the, the army. From the time I went in the army until the time I got out of the army, they cut it in half, just about. So the army went through a pretty significant downsizing. So there were some opportunities, you know, so I, I decided to get out of the service at the time. And as we talked about in, you know, my book, uh, Shalom and I had the conversation, but, you know, I had some personal issues going on with my family as well that made it more attractive to get out of the service than stay in at the time, unfortunately. So I got out of the service and, um, you know, my experience in the military, you know, my MOS and, and the experience at the White House, but also just what the military teaches you, you know, about how to, you know, I always, you know, obviously it teaches you how to be a leader, but I think most importantly, the very first thing in order to be a leader, you have to learn how to follow, you know, you have to be somebody. And, and I don't mean that in the bad way, just blindly follow somebody, because obviously the military tells you don't follow an, an illegal order, but, but how to carry out a mission and carry, you know, somebody gives you an instruction and order how to carry that out, how to carry it out to the best of your ability every single time. 
you know, if you learn that, you know, then you're, you can be a good leader because you understand what you're going to require of your, your soldiers and, and, and people that, you know, that work for you. So having those skills really helped me then when I got into the civilian world, you know, excel, you know, I, I started at the bottom in organizations and it helped me excel and do well and, and grow in organizations. And that just helped me build, you know, to where I'm at now and the position I'm at now. So, uh, Jim, I, I want to wow. uh, get back to the uh, to the White House piece in, uh, in yeah. a moment or two. Um, but as part of your uh, as part of your tour, you you spent some time in South Korea. Yes. Um, and uh, I know you've been sort of all over the place. Sounds like you also have that travel bug. I'm curious if you've uh, if you've continued that post military. But um, you you have a fascinating uh, post. I guess I'd call it. It's really much larger than a post uh, that you shared with both of us, um, and we we can you know share it with uh, with our, our listeners and viewers. But uh, it's it's entitled "Inside the Hermit Kingdom: Five Days in North Korea." Can you tell us a little bit about that experience in a in a place that most of us, like I said, I consider myself to be pretty well traveled. Um, most of us have never, probably will never experience in our lifetime. Yeah. So, you know, as you mentioned, I served with the 2nd Infantry Division uh, at Camp Casey and I was we were up near the DMZ. So we were there a lot. I actually have a member on my team, a uh, team member, uh, Derek Cottle, who actually served on the DMZ um, and was, uh, you know, up there all the time. Um, I was at Camp Casey, so I was near the DMZ and we were up there, you know, exercising a lot. So I saw South Korea. I mean, I'm sorry, I saw the DMZ from the south and I actually took the tour into Panmunjom and went into Panmunjom. So, you know, you're technically in North Korea when you cross the, the line on the table in Panmunjom. So, you know, just having lived in South Korea for a year and serving in the in the uh, second infantry division, you know, I was interested with things that are going on on the peninsula there. Um, so later on in civilian life, um, I became a member of the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's just a, you know, it's a foreign policy group in Chicago that, you know, they bring on all these guest speakers and different stuff and discuss foreign policy issues. So I met a gentleman there that, um, had run travel into North Korea and he actually, I believe at the time was the only person that was running trips into North Korea. Um, so I hooked up with him and we developed a, it, it was really interesting because he had a, um, he, he ran tours into there and, uh, he, for, for whatever reason, I, got, I had like a solo tour. So, <laughs> so I got, because I wanted to do some additional things. I, I was really focused on the military aspect of it because I wanted to see their military museums. I wanted to see military historic sites and stuff, um, which, you know, North Korea is a military centric society. So uh, they put all, almost all of their GDP, the small amount that there is into the military. It's a, you know, kind of that's, it's everything's designed about protecting the regime there, you know, so that's why they develop nuclear missiles. That's why they pour all their money in the military. The nuclear missiles are for the external threats. The military is mostly for the internal threats to keep the you know people uh, compliant and you know things like that. So I was always interested in uh, going to see North Korea. So that's why I took advantage of that opportunity and went into North Korea. Um, when I was in the service, uh, when I was at the White House, I got to go into the Soviet Union back when it was the Soviet Union. Uh, for the last U.S. Soviet summit with uh, with President H.W. Bush, so having seen the Soviet Union um, back then in nineteen, I think that was nineteen ninety one. You know, it was it was really like stepping off of a plane onto a nineteen forties uh, um, screen uh, stage stage set or something. It was really unreal. I mean, it was like the 
<laughs> it was just un unbelievable what it looked like back then, you know. Um, and it's, I've heard the same of people that went into East Berlin from West Berlin. I didn't get a chance to do that when I was in Germany, but people said the same type of thing. So I was really interested to see what North Korea looked like compared to South Korea, because South Korea is insanely successful and very prosperous. And you know, I really wanted to see what it was like inside North Korea. So that's why I took the opportunity to go there. And and it it met it met the uh, <laughs> it met uh, met that criteria. It was really a surreal experience. And and just to uh, just to clarify for our listeners, this was um, roundabouts in 2008 that you went it out there. It was in 2008. Yeah, actually, I was in there um, during the uh, 60th, 60th anniversary of the uh, founding of the DPRK, and it was also the financial crisis was happening back here in the states. Yep. And Kim Jong Il, who was the leader at the time, went missing because he had a health crisis. So <laughs> it was it was an interesting time to be there. For many of us that have served, um, we, especially in specific MOSs and jobs, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're used to filling out those uh, security clearance paperwork, though, the PSIP, yeah. as it's called. I could only imagine, it's good that you served prior to going into North Korea, because I could only imagine the red flags that that would raise for the uh, for the adjudicator or the investigator look trying to get you cleared for, for a White House security clearance. Good thing you completed that moved on, and uh, then you went off to North Korea. Yeah. So, I, don't think I'd be able, I don't think I'd be able to have the clearance now. Um, and actually, I was on the deck of the um, of the ship that's, that was captured in 1968, um, the U.S. Navy ship that's still actually on the Navy rolls. And, and all, the, uh, all the crypto equipment's still there. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. parts of it were sent to Moscow for evaluation and everything. But all the, you know, it really, really put me in the shoes of those sailors, you know, obviously not literally, but, you know, just seeing what was happening. And, and I f really felt for those sa sailors that were there back in 1968 and, the, you know, happened in January. So it's freezing cold. You're out there on the, on the open seas and the North Korean started firing on their ship and, you know, there was really nowhere for them to go and they, they got captured. You know, it was the USS Pueblo. Wow. I mean, that, that alone, man, that just kind of, that, that right there, you've got stories to tell, you know, I don't know if you're going to have grandkids, but you've got, <laughs> you've got some great stories. I know I read some of uh, the stuff you sent this man. I know that when you uh, came back home to Chicago, you said you used to sip, uh, you know, sip coffee or tea with your dad and have many, you know, discussions and you found out a lot of things that you couldn't really talk about, but it, I, I can only imagine working in the White House and finding out all of the threats that uh, that have come against our nation, you know, that, that, that had to be, you know, not only eye opening, but a little bit of a little jarring as well. Um, you know, that's, that's uh, interesting, you know, that you bring that up. Um, you know, people that serve, you know, particularly if you serve at different, whatever that position is where you have access to those types of information. Right. You know, I just don't think that your average citizen realizes, you know, what is up against the country every single day. I mean, this was, you know, I, I served in the White House from uh, basically January of 90 through um, almost the end of 1992. So through the Gulf War and everything that lead up to the Gulf War. And, you know, you talk about the dismantling of the, of, uh, the Soviet Union and all those uh fissile materials that were available to, you know, they were trying to prevent terrorists from getting access to these nuclear materials that were, you know, not necessarily secured all that well. So, I mean, you had all that stuff going on back then. Um, and, you, you know, I mean, there were terrorist elements that were trying to do bad things. And, you know, th that's why that, that article that I wrote, I was, I was talking to my dad and obviously I can't disclose any, any secret information or anything, but I, I was just, you know, I, I told him I would be really surprised if something bad didn't happen in the next five to 10 years. You know, if they can get their hands on those materials, 
and you know they would uh, they attacked um what was the first uh, bombing at the uh world trade center was that 93 1993 yep yeah so that was 93 that was like you know right after i got out yep. and if you don't think that they would have used a nuclear weapon instead of flying planes into the to the world trade center and uh a 9-11 of course they would have you know they just weren't able to get it because you know we we've people that you know in the military and different agencies are trying to prevent that every day you know and, and it's it's a constant battle to maintain you know to keep those threats from harming people here at home and i just don't know that the average citizen realizes that that's an ongoing battle and it's been going on for a very long time you know that that kind of reminds me and leads me to you know how people always say uh uh the old school they say you know what i know where i was when kennedy was shot yeah you know um i remember where i was you know at when 2001 uh, 9 11 happened uh yeah i was actually uh, I was supposed to go to work that day. I was laying in, in, the, in the house that I lived in at the time. I was laying in the bed and the TV was still on. And I just saw that one of the Twin Towers had smoke coming out of it. And it, it, I was like half awake. And I, I remember seeing that and kind of hearing, you know, I don't even remember who the uh, person was talking on TV, but it was it's like your eyes are opening up and you're seeing what would become of the new normal uh, of, of things to happen. Um, and I, I, I was reading your article, man, about, you know, where you were and everything when that happened. And uh, so, I mean, from your perspective, uh, just speaking on how the world has changed since 9-11, um, do, do you think we're any better at protecting our country now um, than we were then? You know, um, I, you know, I don't have access to the information that I had back then. Um, sure. I've got a lot of friends and obviously we have conversations and things like that. Um, I, I would like to think we are, you know, I think the biggest, biggest factor there, you know, I, I do security now on for, uh, you know, energy infrastructure. Um, so we participate in some of the efforts to make sure that, you know, uh, things in the homeland here are, are safe and, you know, we can deliver energy safely and everything to, to folks and keep energy going. Um, but I, I think, you know, from that perspective, the thing that makes us, more safe than before is there's just a much larger collaboration of uh, agencies and sharing of information than there was in the past. I think it was siloed much more in the past. I think certain people had information, because even if you look at 9-11, there were certain people that knew about us, you know, very extently, you know, to, to a great extent about uh, Osama bin Laden and people that knew about different plans to try to fly planes and do use planes as weapons and different stuff, but the right people didn't have that information, you know, and you know, and we didn't have the protections in place. And, you know, I don't know, bar, you know, barring that type of an incident that was tragic, over 3000 people killed and, you know, massive uh, chaos, would the American public have put up with what we've done with security um, uh, at airports and things like that before then, you know, if, if we had just said, hey, we really need to do this because, you know, and we can't really tell you why, but we need to do this, would the American public have put up with that? I don't know. Probably not. I mean, look what people are doing about masks right now, you know, so uh, you know, Americans like their freedom, right? So, so I don't know if we would have been able to um, put the measures in place without the incident happening. Unfortunately, I mean, um, I, I just think human nature, in some ways, does that. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I used to be amazed. You know, you talk about um, working at the White House. We'd have these conference calls that would happen in the middle of the night, and you know, you'd hear about something happening out there. You know the the tip of the foreign policy spear, you know, our, our, mil our military, the, uh, you know, those tier one units and things and some of the intelligence groups and stuff doing things and, you know, something may or may not have gone right or whatever. And 
we always had to be pulled in in case the president needed to be pulled in and make a decision or, you know, something like that had to happen. So, you know, that stuff's going on all the time. It was going on before 9-11 <clears throat> and clearly it's going on to a much larger degree after 9-11, you know, with, with the uh, Afghanistan and Iraq and different things. So um, I, I do think generally we're safer, but, um, you know, that's just my, my opinion. I don't have any definitive information on that. Sure. And wow. Jim, I I know your your upcoming book, I believe it's scheduled to be released in uh, November of this year, is called Gut Punch, How Love Can Pick You Up When Life Has Dropped You to Your Knees. And you've dealt with quite a bit of hardship. And that was part of, as you alluded to earlier, part of the reason why you left, um, why you left your service. Yeah. Uh, just general question. I mean, do you miss it? Do you miss, do you miss the army life? Do you miss your time at the White House? Do you miss, do you miss serving? I want to clearly give the disclaimer, you continue to serve. We all serve. Um, but do you miss your time in uniform? Absolutely. I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have loved to, you know, done a full career in the military. I, I enjoyed the military a lot. And, you know, especially at the white house, you, you kind of got a little bit spoiled on, you know, the access to people and things, you know, I mean, I, I would, I would have conversations with Colin Powell on the telephone. <laughs> you know, we'd have to bother him. He'd be in the garage tinkering with a. He liked to. He lived at Fort Myer at the time. He was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and he liked to tinker with this old truck he had. You know, you'd see him puttering around it in on Fort Myer and stuff. And he liked to work on cars on the weekend. And you know, you'd have to bother him to get him on the phone to talk to somebody. You know, on a secure line. He had to go down to his basement, get on a secure line, so he could talk to somebody. He was just an amazing uh, person, and you know, one of my uh, one of my her personal heroes as well. So. But yeah, so so I absolutely missed, you know, and, and at the White House, I mean, you were drinking from a, a fire hose of information. And, you know, once you're no longer have that clearance and you no longer have that access, it goes away, you know, because I'd sit at home and watch, you know, like those morning shows on Sunday morning and things like that, sit in bed watching those news shows. And, and you could tell when somebody's lying because you heard them talking on the phone. <laughs> you know? You're like, well, that's not what you said to the president on the phone. That's, that's interesting. You know, so you really got to see that dynamic of what politicians are really like, you know, behind the scenes, you know, where it was more of kind of an old boys network. And then they put on the the suit, you know, and, and fight each other on television because they have to do that for their constituents. But, but behind the scenes, they were all, you know, okay, well, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. You know, there's a lot more of that. I don't know that that's going on nowadays, but that was going on back in the nineties. <laughs> I don't know if it's going on nowadays with the, yeah. the, the devices. Actually, that immediate aftermath of uh, having just left I'm sure you were just blown away um, by the things that you saw and heard and yeah. probably just itching to, uh, to, you know, to be involved, not just to know more, because that's that's, you know, we all have that uh, a drop of that. But to be able to do and, and serve and continue to contribute in some way. Um, so you you wrote this book, uh, Gut Punch, um, How Love Can Pick You Up When Life Has Dropped You to Your Knees. Can you tell us a little bit, sneak peek, we don't want to share all the secrets, but <laughs> sneak peek of what's what's included and 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 what you know readers can look forward to yep so um like i, I mentioned you know i was at serving at the white house and um uh, had to make the decision you know my my time in service was coming up i had to make the decision to get out or stay in and i i decided that i it was best for me to get out of the service i, I was having some significant um issues in, in my family and um you know I, I was my first wife um had some uh actually had a personality defect that, you know, led to some uh, mental health issues, you know, like a bipolar, dis bipolar disorder and things like that. So, you know, it became 
untenable to maintain a uh, top secret clearance and have that situation going on at home and trying to manage that and, and, you know, keep my kids healthy and all that other stuff. So I did get out of the service. And, you know, like you said, mentioning continuing to serve my job, first job out of the military is working at a children's hospital. And boy, you talk about service, man, those, the doctors and nurses at Children's Memorial at the time, now it's called Lori's Children's in Chicago here, but worked at Children's Memorial as my first job. And my God, you know, you talk about service, those people are incredible. And so I did try to continue that in, in the jobs that I, I've done post-military. Um, but so the the genesis of the book, um, I'm, I'm writing the book, you know, I, I'm working with uh, Tucker Max, who's a New York Times bestseller, and he runs this uh, company called Scribe Media. And I'm, I'm working with them on the book. And um, he teaches you to find your avatar you know, who is your perfect reader? Who are you trying to help with this book? And my um, perfect reader is the person that woke up next to his wife who passed away, you know, who took her own life actually um, back in 1998. You know, so I woke up, um, went to bed, you know, a family man with two children and woke up a, a widower with, you know, single dad of two teenage, uh, an 11 year old girl and a 13 year old boy. So, you know, going from the shock of that to, being happy, healthy, and having a, having a great family and, you know, doing what I did with my life. I'm trying to, trying to distill down how I did that and show people that there's a path to go from that terrible, horrible incident and the grief and sorrow and sadness of that type of an incident to, you know, finding your happiness again and living, living a happy, healthy life. So, you know, through that, I found, you know, doing the work with that. And I worked with a woman named Erin Weed out of uh, Boulder, Colorado, who does, a lot of this type of work, um, you know, trying to figure out how I did do that. You know, I, I developed the process, you know, I, I used the tools of love, which I, I, the three tools of love are understanding, compassion, and forgiveness, you know, really trying to understand a problem from many different directions, not just how you saw it, but, you know, in, in the case of my wife's suicide, you know, understanding, you know, why she did that, what brought her to do that, and then developing compassion, you know, not just for her, my God, I mean, how how bad are things when, when taking your own life, it, you see that as your best option, right? I mean, how bad are you feeling then and how bad is your situation? So having compassion for her and having compassion for me as well, you know, and, uh, and then forgiveness ultimately, you know, forgiving her, forgiving myself for, for whatever I, however I contributed to that, you know, and, and giving yourself permission to move forward in your life and, and be happy and, and uh, you know, finding uh, happiness and, and moving, moving forward. So that's what the book is about. It's trying to take readers through that journey. And again, I'm not uh, arrogant enough to think that my path is everybody's path, but it is a, a path. And I want to show people that path so that maybe somebody could find something in my journey that will help them get through a really traumatic incident. No, I, I, I very much appreciate that, uh, Jim. And I will say that the path that you're sharing is definitely one that will be familiar to, to, to some and hopefully many. Um, you, you never know who you can help until you reach out. And I believe that, uh, you know, you, you uh, another story that you share with us, uh, as you spoke about addiction and mental health, you know, I think that's more common than people would like to believe. I think we all, uh, I, I tell people all the time, everyone needs counseling. If you make it in, uh, past the birth of your, uh, your birth, your birthday, right? <laughs> been through some trauma, you've seen something that didn't quite gel or mesh right. And at some point, there's, um, there's some things that you have to deal with, you know, uh, mentally and, and sometimes physically, and it requires you to understand that. So 
Um, in my family, myself, you know, um, I'm a big proponent of uh, counseling, uh, knowing more about yourself so that you can grow as a person. But um, I, I really appreciate also that you're sharing the story um, of uh, what your son experienced. Um, and um, you, you had a, a call for the end of shame. You wrote that uh, heartful message from father to son on why needing help does not make us weak. Yeah, uh, that is compelling in itself. I think I, I'm a father. I have three sons. Um, what father does not want to be an olive branch or a conduit for showing a bridge over troubled waters? Absolutely. You know, and I, and I believe that you've got a lot of success in your life, which makes your, your story that much more important to tell. And, um, and, and for your children to look up at you and say, you know what, Dad, we, we understand. We might not have understood then, but as we get older, we understand now. So, you know, I, I, I want to say to you also, Jim, that uh, writing this, is it, is it also therapeutic for you to, um, to be able to release what you've been through as much as you're helping other people? Is it also helping you? I, absolutely. I think so. I mean, I don't know how you could write, you know, whether it's that piece like, you know, you, you talked about, thank you, Robert. I appreciate your words very much. You know, that, that piece about uh, ending shame and guilt associated with addiction, you know, my, my, my son, uh, Jim has a, an addiction to alcohol and he's, he's still battling that, you know, it, it's a constant fight. Um, and it is, um, trying to end that shame and guilt associated with that is important to me because I think people don't get help because they're ashamed of it. Yep. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's very critical to talk about these things, you know, put, you know, light, I think helps everything and, you know, shedding light on things, you know, they talk about, you know, sunlight helps disinfect things and everything. Right. So, I mean, I think shedding light on things opens it up and people can talk about it and they feel more free to talk about it. And they're more likely to seek help because, you know, I don't know if any of you guys follow Tom Satterley. Uh, he wrote, uh, it's over here somewhere actually in his book, um, uh, all secure. He was a Delta force uh, guy for like 25 plus years. And he writes, uh, about, you know, he basically was sitting in his car with a gun to his head one day. And the woman who now is his wife called him and said, Hey, where you at? You know, we're, we're going to go get drinks or something. You coming? And, and he, you know, he kind of startled him out of what he was doing and he put the gun down and, and joined her. And that was his journey out of the darkness from PTS, PTS that led him to that point. And he writes extensively about that. And he has a foundation now called the All Secure Foundation. And, um, you know, again, the message of if you don't talk about it, you don't get it out in the open and pe people won't seek help. And especially guys, you know, guys like that, you know, that were, you know, so hardcore and tough and, you know, they don't want to look weak, right? By, by saying, hey, I need some help. But my God, you know, you're going through those type, that type of trauma every single day. You know, you're going on a mission every night or something like that. I mean, so, so yes, I, I very much, you know, I do think it helped me, you know, to the point of your original, I get off on a tangent here, but <laughs> uh, to your original question, yes, I do think it helps me very much. I think anybody that writes about trauma like that or writes their their personal story, it does help you very much. And and as you said, you know, I, I really another goal. I wanted to help that reader, but I also wanted to put some of these stories out, you know, for my kids. For for you know, obviously you tell your kids stories, but you know, some stories you don't want to tell them until they get older and things. And and you know, you want to make sure that it, it's it's out there so that they can can read this at some point and understand the stories and learn from them job well done jim thank you and you're you're a brave man jim for uh for for sharing and and uh leaving yourself call it vulnerable um by sharing some of those things and i know um you, you've talked about uh being a uh we talked earlier in the show about being a 
a lifelong learner. And I know that that was part of the reason what, what likely led you to, uh, to North Korea is being a student of military history. Um, it sounds like you continue to look at the past and try to learn from those experiences. So I'm curious, uh, Jim, what books are you reading and uh, what places do you want to go? Well, that's really interesting. I think, you know, when you talk about places I want to go, I, I haven't been to Iran. I would really like to go to Iran. I don't know why, but I, I seem to want to go to places where people, you know, don't like us. <laughs> I don't know why that is. I, I, well, I think I know why. It's because I want to understand, you know, yeah. why, do, why do people not like us? You know, what is it about, you know, why why don't you like us? And, and what's the crux of the, the issue there? Because, you know, it, it, it started, you know, serving in Korea, in South Korea, serving in Germany, but, you know, going into Russia, going into the Soviet Union during the Soviet Union days, you know, I had this vision in my head growing up in the 70s in, in uh, Chicago area, you know, Cold War and all that stuff. I had this vision of, you know, mom, you know, the, the babushka and the old Russian lady and all that stuff I, and, and what the Iron Curtain meant and all that stuff. And we get over there and, and you meet the people and the people are people, you know, I mean, People are people everywhere. North Korea. I was in North Korea, and sure, you know, at certain perspectives, they look at you like they want to, you know, rip your heart out with a with a knife. But you know, when I'm on the, <clears throat> which is one of the more surreal experiences, is you're on those uh, people carriers, like are at the airport, and I'm going in to go see Kim Il Sung's uh, mausoleum, and you're on this people carrier, and you're going in in kind of casual clothes, and everybody coming out is dressed like they're at a at a funeral, you know, obviously, and uh, you know they're looking at you like you're disrespecting, you know. Basically, I think, you know, they, they think he's a godlike figure. So, you know, seeing that. But but when you meet the people on the street, you know, I, I was uh, I shared the pictures on that uh, on that thing, you know, shooting with the little kids out on the street, you know, shooting targets and stuff. I mean, they're people, you know, people are people. Governments are what the problem are. Right. You know, governments hate each other. People generally don't. So I think I've always had that. Um, desires to understand people, you know, as I talked about my three tools, understanding, compassion, and forgiveness, understanding has always been my fascination, trying to understand people, you know, whether it's race right now, you know, what is it that causes the, the, this, the, uh, the disagreements on race, you know, what are the real issues, you know, how do we solve those issues, that type of stuff, you know, it's always fascinated me, you know, uh, you know, I have, you know, when you talk about gay and straight, you know, I have uh, gay relatives that I love, you know, and, and talking to them, you know, and, and trying to understand that, you know, why do people hate people just because they're gay? I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, so trying to understand those different issues has always been fascinating to me. No, that, that is exactly what it is, uh, Jim. And, you know, when you speak about, you know, um, you know, LGBTQ, you speak about the race issues, speak about, uh, even COVID-19, you know, a lot of things, um, will be, um, a lot of things in our society can be remedied as long as we are open to understanding each other. You know, when the, with the whole George Floyd thing, you know, it's really, it's it's not the, the issue is not necessarily police. It's it's why we're being do that to a, a human being. That's yeah, the common thing that we need to get down to. And if race is a factor, then absolutely it has to be discussed. Not because he's black and the other guy is white, but because he felt that that was okay. Then, yeah, the um, biggest question to me with that whole thing was, how yeah. did he see him not as a human being? Because he clearly didn't. I mean, right. that was, you know, that's my, me trying to understand it is what leads him to not feel that George Floyd wasn't a human being because he treated him like an animal, you know, and, and that's the crux of the issue, right? Yep. And I, and I, and yep. And I, and I, I don't want to take you away from our conversation, Jim, but I, I absolutely appreciate you addressing that and something that uh, I'm, I'm sure 
other episodes or maybe even another podcast, something we could talk about. But uh, no, I, I, I really appreciate how um, you're transparent with your story. I think um, uh, what's one of the fascinating things with me is that you are actually on a demarcation line in the DPK, man. You're actually standing where CNN has a camera fixed, it seems like now, uh, <laughs> right at that line between South Korea and North Korea. I, you know, and, and kind of just backing up a little bit, I just want to know, like, what was that experience like standing there, watching it from all angles, it seems, you saw it, yeah. uh, and, and just had to have the, the hair on your neck kind of stand up, I would believe, you know, to be there. You know, it's really interesting. Um, you know, we had that, do you remember the per, the, the uh, person from the North Korean military that was shot and killed? Um, well, he wasn't killed. He was shot right. badly. And they found, remember, they found all those worms in his uh, intestines and everything like that? Yeah. When that happened, <clears throat> there were guys that popped out of buildings there that I was walking past. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. So that, that's what was in that building. So wow. coming, you know, I, I, again, I told you I had been to um, Pam with John from the South. So I had seen it from the South. And it was years ago. They, they rebuilt this the house and all that stuff on the South End. Uh, since I was there back in way back in 1984. Um, but um, so I had seen the DMZ uh, and Pamajan and demarcation line from the south, but seeing it from the north was was it was surreal. I mean, it was completely surreal. We saw the old on the on the north end, there's the old original site where the UN was meeting with with uh, the North Koreans and stuff. And, and you get to see that. And then you come into this building that, you know, basically when we we're when I was in uh, the military in the South, they were telling us that that was just a bogus building. It wasn't even a real building. It was just a facade. It's a real building. <laughs> so I was in it. <laughs> wow. So you go into it and uh, <clears throat> it, it was just, it, it really was unreal. You walk down there and you you see the the peace village are set out front, and you're seeing it from the other end and you're seeing the South looking at you and, you know, all the cameras are looking at you and the, you know, the uh, U.S. and uh, South Korean soldiers are looking at you. It, it was interesting, you know, seeing all those eyes on you from the other side. <laughs> it, was, wow. uh, it was very interesting. <laughs> Incredible. Hey. Incredible. Well, Jim, we are running out of time, and uh, you've you've shared a lot, um, which I know uh, both Robert and I appreciate. And uh, one more time regarding the book, uh, tell us a little bit more about your plan for the release and where folks can can look for it and. Uh, you know, get a glimpse into the fascinating life of Jim Miller. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, the book, Gut Punch, you know, how love will pick you up when life drops you to your knees. And again, it's the story of, you know, bringing yourself from a very traumatic place and, and finding your happiness, you know, getting from a, I, I say, getting from a place of anger, guilt, hatred, or shame and finding your path toward your personal freedom. Um, so I'm, I'm still in the editing phase. I have to turn the manuscript in. And once I turn the manuscript in, it's basically, you know, they, they do their edits and then I have to fix those edits. And once I fix their edits, it's four months from then where they publish it. So <clears throat> with COVID, I'm a little bit behind schedule. So we may not hit November. It'll probably be spring. Um, but, you know, once it's out, it will be available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all that stuff. So it will be widely available and I will be pushing it out on my social media and all that uh, uh, stuff. So I really appreciate it. Oh, and we'll promote as well. By the way, Jim, as we're talking, I just had this memory of uh, as I went through basic training. So the uh, I'm assuming all branches of the military have have the I think it's called the ASBP, the Armed Service Armed Services Blood Program. And um, I, I remember the I think it's volunteers come through, and uh, it was one of the last days of basic training, and they. Uh, tried to recruit us by offering us a T-shirt or something like that. Well, you donate blood, 
And um, because, you know, to all those that are listening that think that we're not still at war, we are still very much at war. People are dying every day um, for our country. And, uh, and you know, when, when people don't donate blood, um, the military has to purchase that blood from life source and, and other resources, and it costs a pretty penny. So uh, again, shameless plug, donate, donate blood uh, to those that are serving. Um, but I remember the volunteer or whomever it was came through and uh, did a little gaggle with us and uh, was trying to basically weed out whomever would not qualify and was asking questions like, where have you traveled to? And, um, and I remember going through different countries and I said, uh, I said, South Korea. And the guy, the guy laughed and made fun of me and I'm cracking up at that right now. He was like, I didn't think you would have been to North Korea. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know what? You never know. You never know. But it was very funny. I'm just having that memory right now. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, who who knows? Who knows? But um, Jim, thank you so much. Um, Anything that we've left out that you want to that you want to plug or uh, or call out any uh, any shout outs? No, uh, Shalom and Robert, thank you again very much for inviting me on your show. Um, I, I would just, you know, as you said, we all serve. I mean, I would encourage anybody to join the military. You know, um, I think it's a fantastic way to learn, you know, A, who you are. You know, you learn a lot about the world, learn a lot about our country, our values. You know, the people that serve are some of the greatest people in our country. You know, I, you know people that are willing to put their their freedom and their life on the line to for others. You know, I mean, what, what greater uh, cause than that? And um, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's not for everybody, but I think, you know, for folks that uh, I would really encourage people to look at as an opportunity to learn who you are and learn more about the world. Agreed. Agreed. Jim, it's uh, wonderful and fascinating as uh, your walk in life has been. Um, I did have one other question, man. What's next for you? You know, um, <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm, you know, still uh, working full time uh, and working on the book. Um, and I would really like to take the book and um, do some uh, some you know webinar type things, workshops, uh, and or coaching to try to help people you know navigate that journey of of trauma, you know, uh, living life moving forward after tra- traumatic incidents that happen in, in life. That's that's what I kind of see as my calling, you know, my next phase of life. Whenever that uh, whenever that does happen, you know, um, I, I, I would like to really move into that area and try to try to help people that way. I see that happening, my brother. I see that happening. Thank you. Appreciate Indeed. it. Indeed. And whatever you do, we will promote and uh, and share. Uh, so thank you again, Jim, for joining us. For those right. of you that are tuned in, uh, again, make sure you subscribe um, on whatever podcast platform you're using. Make sure you like and follow on Facebook and Twitter. Um, find, uh, find out about our upcoming episodes. Um, it's going to be pretty awesome. We've got some great guests in the works. Um, we're on episode number seven, but uh, a couple dozen uh, guests already in the in the uh, in the bullpen over here. So uh, we're excited about that. And uh, once again, Jim Miller, thank you so much for joining us. Agree with you. We all serve. We all serve, and uh, and we will see you uh, next time. We're excited to uh, to continue to uh, excited for your book to come out. So thanks for joining us again. Yes, thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate it very much. Enjoyed it. Take care.